6. Proverbs chapter number 6. So far in this chapter, we've talked about, uh, and this is one of those chapters that kind of like the, you know, the telephone book. It just changes subjects just right and left. And uh, so it started out talking about the matter of surety, which is something we never even talk about anymore today. And uh, yet I, I don't know about you, but it, uh, it, I thought it was a good reminder of our financial responsibility to not, you know, do dumb things and get in over our head and uh, co-signing notes for people and things of that nature. And so that's what we started out talking about. And then in our last message was about slothfulness, where he tells us to go to the ant, thou sluggard. And uh, we talked about that. Well, tonight uh, we come to the subject beginning in verse 12, and we're just going down through verse 15. And this lesson will be maybe a little shorter than normal, but I don't want to get into the next week's message beginning in verse 16. That's one of those that that you, that I could spend two hours on, and you'll see why whenever we get to it. But beginning in verse 12, this this has to do with the subject of spitefulness. And I'm using that word because, you know, spite means malice. It means... Uh, a harm or to annoy, and uh, so it fits the subject matter here. And uh, as we go through what I've talked about so far, the financial responsibility and then uh, slothfulness, and now we get to this subject, uh, from, from, from my experience over the years, my observations, the order of all of this is actually obvious. And uh, let, let me just, while you're there, let me turn over, and you don't have to, but I'm going to read a verse out of 1 Timothy chapter 5 and show you how these, these subjects can relate one to another, one thing lead to another thing. And here Paul tells Timothy, verse number 13, And withal they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers also and busybodies speaking things which they ought not. Well, as soon as I read that, the first thing that comes to my mind is that old saying, idleness is the devil's playhouse, you know. And we just got through talking about uh, the slothful person, uh, somebody that's lazy and won't work, somebody that's not productive. And uh, so we, we move directly from that to this and we see that it affects a person, you know, in those ways. Now, in, in the first three verses here, he gives us the characteristics of a spiteful person. Notice what he says, uh, verse number 12. A naughty person, a wicked man, uh, walketh with a froward mouth. He winketh with his eyes, he speaketh with his feet, he teacheth with his fingers, Forwardness is in his heart. Uh, he deviseth mischief continually, and he soweth discord. Now, notice how he starts out. He says he's speaking about a naughty person. Now, you know, we use that word naughty today, usually in reference to we say to a little kid, now, don't you be naughty. And, you know, by that we mean mean or ornery or something of that nature. But this particular word means literally not anything. So he's talking about a person that is not anything. It describes a person that today we would say 
you know, that guy is good for nothing. And that's exactly the word that's used here. He's a person that's good for nothing. And, and as you, as you examine that word and the words that it comes from, it implies wickedness and worthlessness. Somebody that's wicked and worthless. Now, of course, the wickedness makes us worthless. None of us have to be worthless in and of ourselves. You know, as, as God's children, we have great potential. And, and, and certainly God loves us and God has, uh, has blessed us abundantly, but we can so live our life that when it's all said and done, you know, when it's all over, we look back and it's been spent in a worthless fashion. This word is literally translated Belial most of the time in the Bible, and it's just a general description of the person that is getting ready to talk about, a naughty person, somebody wicked, somebody that is worthless, somebody that's good for nothing. So that's the kind of person that, that we're talking about. Now remember, this is God's description of the person. You know, this fellow might have a good reputation in his neighborhood. Other people might think well of him. He might be a popular person, but in God's sight, he's wicked, worthless, He's good for nothing. That's the general description. But now he moves on to the specific characteristics. And let's just examine each one of those. And notice he begins by saying that he is a wicked man. That explains why he is what he is. In other words, he is ruined by sin. This is the cause of him being the naughty or worthless, good-for-nothing person because he is a wicked man. That word normally in the Bible is translated iniquity. It's speaking about somebody that sins against God. And, and naturally, that's what makes a person wicked. You know, we've, we've got the idea that, you know, that we can commit this sin or that sin, and as long as it's popular, that it's not really a big deal, that doesn't make us a bad person, because after all, our legislators made a law, and they legalized it, and so there's surely not anything wrong with it. Well, that all depends. Regardless of what man says about it, if God condemns it, then it's sin, and if it's sin, it's wickedness in the sight of God. So he says, first of all, this worthless, wicked person is wicked. Now, notice, he gets more descriptive. He says, he walketh with a froward mouth. And that word forward means crooked. Uh, it speaks about somebody that's dishonest and what have you, perverse. And so here is a person that has no regard for the truth, no regard for honesty. You know, it's kind of like the old Indian saying, white man speaks with a fork and tongue. Well, that's what we're talking about here. Somebody that misuses the tongue in the sense that they don't care whether, you know, that they're telling the truth or not. And I can remember growing up, my, my little league ball manager it was so funny because he was like a second dad to me, and we'd hunt and fish together all of the time. And and uh, I grew up with his son, my who was my best friend. But he's a great man, except he's the biggest liar on the face of the earth. If we went fishing, if we caught ten, I'll guarantee you it'd be thirty or forty by the time we got back. 
And I can't tell you the number of times he'd be talking to a neighbor or something, and I'd be there. And he'd give given me the nickname Sonny for whatever reason. He's the only person ever called me Sonny. But uh, he'd, he'd start this story about all these fish we caught, and, and nearly every time he'd say, Isn't that right, Sonny? And here I'm just getting, Yeah, that's right. Well, we really caught him, you know. I'm just going right along with him. And, and I knew it wasn't true. But, you know, some people, thank God that fellow got saved later on and, and become a, a really faithful worker in the church that I pastored. But <laughs> at that stage of his life, he was one of the biggest liars I've ever known in my life. Well, you know, that's the way it is with the person that he's talking about. They don't care anything about telling the truth and what have you. It doesn't bother them at all to speak things that are false or things that are deceitful or maybe things that are impure uh, and, and things of that nature. And so, as you know, what we say, the words we speak, reveals a great deal about who we are. And so this person, notice, he, he walketh with the... And walketh is talking about his manner of life. In other words, it doesn't say he occasionally, you know, stretches the truth or he occasionally says something that he should. No, he walketh. This, this is his manner of life. This guy lives that way day after day. It's, it's uh, uh, just the way he lives. Now, notice he goes on. He winketh with his eyes. And I've got to confess, you know, whenever I... And whenever I first read that some years ago, I thought, what in the world is is that? Well, you know, the more I thought about it, the more I realized what he's saying is this guy is is as crafty as he is corrupt. In other words, he is sending signals, you know, with his eyes. And we all know how that is. You know, if you're spinning a yarn or something and telling somebody something, you look over somebody with you, you know, and wink at them like, you know, come on, go along with me here. And so we can communicate through our eyes using that as as signals or trickery or whatever to convince somebody, you know, that's not really true. But the whole point is... This is somebody you can't trust. <laughs> they will lie, and it even shows in the, in the use of their eyes. But, but then notice it says, He speaketh with His feet. Well, about the only thing I can make of that is, uh, He is expressing Himself with His feet, and, and a lot of times, as you know, we express our anger by, you know, maybe stomping our foot. Most little kids, you know, they learn that in a hurry, don't they? They don't like something else, stomp their foot. But some people never grow out of that, you know, and they'll kick something or, uh, you know, we adults can act so childish. <laughs> I could tell a lot of bad things about myself, but I, I'm, I'm not going to. You have to. Now, don't talk to Bev about it either. But breaking with things, what does that solve? But. It's kind of like, you know, if you're a baseball fan, remember Billy Martin, you know, he played for the Yankees and then he was the manager. And, of course, he's not the only one. You've seen it. You know, they'll get mad out there and they go to kicking the dirt and expressing their anger. And so this is talking about somebody with both their eyes and with their feet. They are expressing their their rage or anger or whatever it is. And so he speaketh with his feet. And notice, he teacheth with his fingers. Uh, 
<laughs> you know, like us, we preachers, we can't hardly talk without using our hands, you know. And, and a lot of people are like that. You don't have to be a preacher. And uh, a lot of times we express ourselves with our with our hands. And no, notice precisely what he says. He teacheth with his fingers. So a lot of people use their hands or their fingers and sometimes just one to express how they feel about you. <laughs> now, see, you're thinking something else, aren't you? I, I was talking about pointing at you. No. You, you know exactly what I mean. The, the, he uses his fingers, his feet, his, his eyes, and everything is involved in this. That's the way sin it is. It doesn't just affect one part of us. It affects every part of us. But notice verse number 14, forwardness is in his heart. Well, boy, we're getting down to the heart of the matter now. The forwardness is in the heart. This is why he does what he does. With his fingers, with his feet, with his eyes, with his tongue. This is why he does those things. Because our our attitude and our actions are controlled by what is in our heart. And here's that word froward again. Frowardness is in his heart. Crookedness. You know, back in Missouri we talked about somebody being, he's as crooked as a barrel of snakes. I've heard that a thousand times whenever I was growing up. And that describes this person right here. And it always gets back, it always gets back to the heart. Because the Bible says out of it are the issues of life. Keep your finger here, but turn over to Romans chapter number 3 for just a moment. And here we find Paul speaking about the sinfulness of man. And uh, I want you to notice what he says beginning, let's start about verse number 10. As it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. All right? Now, he could have stopped right there, right? He really doesn't have to say any more than that. He could have jumped all the way down to verse 23, right? For it says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But notice what is in between those statements. He says, there is none that understandeth, and that has to do with our mind. There's none that seeketh after God. That certainly has to do with your heart. They're all gone out of the way. They're all together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat... Now, here we go. He's speaking about the different members of the body now. Their throat is an open sepulcher. Uh, with their tongues, they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace uh, have they not known? There is no fear of God before their eyes. So here we see in illustrating the sinfulness of man, Paul speaks about these different members of the body and how that they, rather than being brought under God's control, they are out of control. That's the way sin is. That's, that's what happens whenever our heart is rotten, when it is corrupt, it affects everything about us, uh, the way that we relate one to another, and and, and most certainly the the the, the way that we re, re, relate to the Lord. 
And so he says, all have sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. And, and just look at the ways that it has affected us. Well, that's exactly what we're seeing. But notice, it all goes back to the heart. Uh, I, I've heard people say so many different times about somebody, you know, they've done something wrong. And they would say, well, I know what he did was wrong, but I tell you, he's a good neighbor and he's really got a good heart. No, he doesn't have a good heart. He does what he does because his heart's not right. Uh, Because our actions and our attitudes, all of those things are springing out of our heart. And, And so this is the kind of person he's talking about. Now, this next statement is very telling about this man or woman, whatever the case might be. He deviseth mischief continually. In in other words, the the things that he does that are wrong are not things that just, you know, on the spur of the moment, just come up with this wild idea, you know, this sounds good, I think I'll do it. He deviseth, and he's planning this out. This is speaking about a deliberate, premeditated plot to do evil. He's got it all mapped out, all planned out. And notice his heart is bad, and so are his actions. And notice here this word continually. That tells us that what he is doing is habitual. You know, every single one of us act out of character sometimes, don't we? I mean, we really do. A husband and wife, for example, there will be times whenever... uh, you know, some little something will come up and you'll snap back at the other one and they'll say, don't you talk to me that way? Well, I didn't mean anything by it. Well, you just listen to the tone of your voice. And, and so after a while, you got all of these, you know, all of these little old things and you're arguing and it all started over absolutely nothing, not, not, you know, not any big deal. So we all act out of character. We have our bad days, but we're not talking about that here. We're talking about somebody that does what they does continually. You know, I've often said, and some folks I, I'm sure don't understand this, you know, a Christian can commit absolutely any, any sin there is. You can get drunk. You, you could rob a bank. You could smoke a joint. You, 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 you can commit any sin you want to, but I tell you, if you're saved, you're not going to live that way habitually because God, number one, He's going to, He's going to convict you, and if that doesn't do it, he's going to chastise you, and if that doesn't do it, he's going to kill you. I mean, that's blunt, but that's exactly the way it is. There is a sin unto death, and if we don't listen to God, if we don't respond to his chastisement, there is a sin unto death. So we don't get by with our sin. Look, you can commit any sin you want. Uh, you've heard people say, well, you Baptists believe in eternal security. If I believe that, I'd sin all I want. And my answer is always the same. We do. We sin more than we want to. So we all sin occasionally, but this person does it habitually. It is continually. In everything they do, they're thinking about and plotting what they're going to do, knowing that it's wrong. Now, I ask you, does that remind you of anything in the Bible when, when you read that? I'll, I'll give you a hint. Over in the Old Testament, something. I'll, I'll give you another hint. In the book of Genesis, does this remind you of anything you've read before? 
Remember back in the days before the flood where every thought of their heart was only evil continually. Continually. Only evil continually. And boy, I'll tell you, listen, we are, a person is in bad shape when, when their manner of life is like that. And, and by the way, he's going to say a, a lot about this whenever we get down to verse number 16 and through verse 19. But notice what he says. He deviseth mischief continually. And here's, a, here's another item on his list. He soweth discord. That literally means he sends forth strife. He sends forth strife. He's a troublemaker. And, and, and the Bible says a lot about it, especially the book of Proverbs. It says a lot about those that sow discord. And, and next week we're going to see down here in these sins that God hates, this is something that is a very serious matter in the sight of God. When we sow discord, when we disrupt the fellowship of the church, for example, we are playing with fire. And churches have more than enough troublemakers. They need peacemakers. And we ought to be working for peace rather than stirring up trouble and finding fault and what have you. So it says, this person soweth discord. And, you know, we often talk about the church. And somebody wrote the other day a little article on Facebook about how wonderful it was to be a part of this church. And they... You know, they talked about all of the things they enjoy about it and so forth. And I thought, and, and we see that a lot, by the way. And it is so refreshing and so good to hear people speak in glowing terms about their love for the church and the good things about the church. Because, hey, look, I'm the pastor and I know there are bad things. I know that. There are bad things in every church. No church is perfect, you see. Uh, but, but, but I'm telling you, the, the, the worst thing we can do in the church, as wonderful as fellowship is with God's people, one of the worst things you can do is to do something that's going to sow discord and strife in the church. And this person does exactly that. Well, these are the characteristics of the person that we're talking about. Now, let's notice his calamity. And, and it's all summed up here in verse number 15. And we'll camp out here for the rest of the evening. Verse 15, Therefore shall his calamity come suddenly. Suddenly shall he be broken without remedy. You know, sin never does end well. What, what was the, the beer company that had the, the, uh, the, the saying, the finest product of the brewer's art. I can't remember which one it was, and I hope you don't even know, but, but there was one. And uh, somebody, somebody put up a billboard sometime later that crossed that word out and said something about the finished product of the brewer's art. You know, and that, that's what we never think about, the finish, the bottom line, the end result of the things that we do in life. And there's so many times we think, you know, in regards to our sin, and I'm not picking on, I'm not picking on that particular sin, but regardless of what it is, it never ends well. It never does. Uh, and the Bible warns us over and over and over. Great sins always result in grievous punishment of some sort. That's why sin is so dangerous 
sin destroys. Now, notice how this verse starts. It starts with the word, therefore. Therefore. And that takes us back to everything we've been talking about. Therefore, because of all of this, in other words, it implies that his calamity or his destruction comes as a direct result of what he has done. All of these things we've already mentioned. In other words, it doesn't just happen. And so many times people say, well, you know, this just happened to me. No, it didn't just happen. God allowed it to happen or God caused it to happen. And everything happens for a reason. And I want you to notice here that his calamity comes without any three things that he mentions here. Calamity, destruction is going to come to this sinful person. And there's three things I want you to notice about it. First of all, it comes without any warning. Suddenly. And, and that implies it's going to be surprising. Uh, suddenly it's going to come upon them. Not going to be, not going to be any warning. It's not going to be like, who's got that commercial, you know, that, uh, talks about a particular medicine and this guy gets a note and it says, uh, you will have your heart attack today. <laughs> Isn't that a scary thought? How'd you like to get a note like that, you know? I, I don't want to know the future other than what God tells me. You know, today's the day you're going to have your heart attack. Well, look, whenever God starts dealing with us and we refuse to respond, the judgment's going to come upon us suddenly. It's not like He's going to, going to tell you, okay, I'm going to give you 24 more hours to get this right. I mean, it, it, it's going to come without warning. Notice, secondly, it'll come without any relief. Notice the word broken there. That means broken literally to pieces. It is, a, it is a word that would be used, uh, you know, if you were describing something in Hebrew. This is a word that would talk about a, a ship that was wrecked, broken up into pieces, or a potter's vessel, something that had fallen and was literally shattered. And, and it's a perfect picture of, of what sin does to a person's life. It makes shipwreck of it. And so there's no relief. It's talking about total ruin. In other words, it's not a slap on the wrist. It's destruction. So it's without warning, without relief. And then notice, it's without any remedy. In other words, it reaches a point. Now, aren't you glad that even when you do sin, that you can, you can, you know, confess that sin to God and you can make it right and, and, God forgives you and restores you, and finally at long last you have peace in your heart like David did in Psalms 51. I mean, that's such a wonderful thing. But whenever we're, when you're talking about somebody like the person described here, this worthless, wicked person who's good for nothing, cares nothing about God and all he does is sit around and think up things to do that are evil and what have you. And God says when his destruction comes, it'll be without any remedy whatsoever. You see, forgiveness of sin does not always exempt you from the consequences of sin. When David sinned against God, God forgave him, but the baby died nevertheless, right? And so a lot of times we have to reap the consequences and sadly, so many people don't really take God serious uh, whenever He warns them. And a lot of times, you know, somebody says, well, you know, 
and, and they, they refrain from particular sin. I can remember back before I was saved, I didn't do a lot of things I wanted to do because I was afraid that I'd, I'd afraid I'd end up in jail. I, I didn't have any fondness for prison. I spent one night in the holding cell at a jail many years ago, and, and that was as close as I ever got. And I, I figured out real quick, I don't ever want to go back. I don't want to be locked up somewhere like that. And the fear of the punishment stopped me from killing a few people. I mean, I'm just telling you the truth. It kept me from from doing a lot of other things because I knew I want to do this, I would do this, but if I get caught, it's going to be a really bad deal for me. And I cared too much about me to let myself do it. <laughs> I'm just being totally honest. That's the way I was as an unsaved person. I, I wasn't going to do that. Well, look. And I'm saying all that for a reason. Sometimes we refrain from sin, but we do so for the wrong reason. Now, certainly we ought to consider the consequences, right? I mean, look, we ought not be playing games with God. We ought to take this serious. When He warns us about chastisement, for example, I don't want to sin because God's going to chastise me if I do. But let me tell you, that must not be our primary point of concern. In other words, somebody said, well, I'm not going to do this because I'm afraid of what God might do to me. That's not very spiritual, by the way. Because we ought to be motivated out of love rather than out of the fear for God. We ought to refuse to sin because we love God, not because we're afraid we're going to get hurt. Because the most important thing about your sin is not how it affects you, but how it affects God. You say, well, if I sin, it's going to hurt me. Yeah, it's going to hurt you, but your sin hurts God. And if we really and truly love God, then there's no better protection on the face of the earth from sin than a red-hot love for God. A fellow by the name of Johann Peter Lang, and he... I remember my pastor many years ago, and I'd, I'd never even heard of this guy, and he was wanting Lang's commentaries. Well, he was a famous preacher way back years and years ago. And in the 19th century, he was a German theologian. And he told the story about a religious leader who had uh, uh, was, was hated by the emperor of the country. And uh, he, he took him into custody and threatened to kill him. And... Uh, he asked the advisor, said, what do you think you ought to do with him? And some of them said, burn him, confiscate his property, put him in irons, have him killed, just get rid of him. And some of the others who knew this man and knew, you know, about his relationship with God said, and I quote, you will not gain anything by all of this. For in exile he would find a home with his God. He kisses his chains Death opens heaven to him. There is only one way to render him unhappy. Force him to sin. He fears nothing in the world but sin. Wow, wouldn't it be good if we felt that way about sin, that we feared it to the extent that we did not want to participate in it? And it's one thing for us to talk about Our love for God, we ought to love God. But look, 
There is no love for God where there is no hatred for sin. If we don't hate sin, it's because we do not love God. And the most dangerous thing we can do, I'll say this and I'm through, the most dangerous thing we can do is to presume upon the mercy and grace of God. Remember we talked about this fellow here? He deviseth mischief. He's plotting, in other words, his course of action, knowing that it is sinful. And there are people that will plan, literally plan, to commit a particular sin, knowing that it's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. And as soon as I've done it, I I, I know I'll just ask God to forgive me, and He'll forgive me, and, and everything will be all right. The quickest way to get hurt by the Lord is to presume on His mercy and His grace. That's presumption. And boy, I'm telling you, that's that's a scary place to be in when we start presuming upon God. Uh, a good way to die to die early. And so we we ought to flee from sin, as the Bible says, and we ought to do it because our love for God is so great that we don't want to do anything to grieve His heart. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to see there's some things God hates. We talk all the time about, oh, God is a God of love. Yeah, He sure is. But because He is a God of love, He also hates some things. And we're going to look at God's hate list next week, Lord willing. Thank you for being here.